Hello, Joe. Hello, hello. Hello, Robert. <laughs> are you uh, are you struggling being at home for what is it now? Two weeks. It's uh, it has been two weeks, and it will be another uh, another week and a half um, that I am home, and it just feels weird. Well, now you know what it's like to be me. <laughs> no, <laughs> not, no, not, no, not work. No, the umbrella drinks are sadly not being brought to me by somebody named, you know, I don't know, Alfred. You know what I mean? It's not it's Alfred, like... but I'm not going to mention his name because he, <laughs> he wants to remain anonymous. Like, I don't, I'm not allowed I to see. share his picture on Facebook or anything like that. So I see. Just, I see. Well, I am working. I am working. It's just, uh, I'm not traveling, which is, yeah, it is weird because, you know, I, I in the 10 years that I've been doing this on my own, I think I can count on one hand the times that I've ever had a local client um, here in Los Angeles, and I now have two. So uh, it is it has been lovely to not have to get on airplanes, especially with everything else going on in the world. Um, but yeah, it's it's been a little weird of a February. So I'm I'm grateful for it. I've actually you know, I mean, this was the design all along was to be able to create, you know, something where I didn't have to get on planes as much. But it ta- it's been taking a little bit of an adjustment. I didn't know they allowed uh, content marketing in Los Angeles. Is that a new? They, they, <laughs> they, they've just passed a law. Uh, yes, they, it was alongside the uh, making sure that the Astros were considered uh, outlaws. And then they passed a content marketing ordinance as well. Yeah, very good. You know, it's, it's yeah, interesting. I'm, so, you know, we were talking about it before we aired here. Uh, my wife is out of town this week. So this is the first time that I've been able to watch a debate. Because she won't, you know, she, in any debates, any political debates, she will not watch. So I had it on and I had the boys. We were all kind of watching the debate. Do you have a, an overall take on the feistiness of the Democratic debate? You know, and it's funny because I am home. I, I, you know, I would never have watched this on the road either. I would, I would have certainly skipped it, but I, because I'm home and because I've sort of finished my work day, I was like, oh, I'm going to catch the debate. Um, you know, I, I'll say this, uh, this was my first one to watch as well. And if this is the sort of, uh, you know, I guess the standard, which people were saying on social media that this was like the best one ever. I'm like, holy moly, am I glad I missed the other ones? Um, you know, I my takeaway was uh, twofold. One, I think, and this not any shocking to anybody that Bloomberg sort of, you know, really um, did not, you know, Casey failed at the bat, as it were. Um, and the other one was how poorly... Uh, the moderators are. I mean, oh. you know, and I don't know if this is just NBC or, you know, whatever, but these are supposed to be the people at the top of their game to moderate this thing. And I just find them tedious. I, you know, it's everyone I, the, I've seen. They, they just yeah. can't corral the madness. No, they can't. On. They not only can't control the madness, but they, they ask the most ridiculous questions and in the most ridiculous way, you know, the whole the whole line of questioning over whether Klobuchar had forgotten the name of the Mexican president and 
were going to somehow get some gotcha moment out of it, you know, when they were sort of pressing her and she kept saying, yeah, I had a moment. I, I forgot his name. Sorry. Yeah. You know, to me it was like, man, those that's three minutes of my life. I'm never going to get back again. And I just felt bad for her. Quite frankly, I just felt bad for her that it was, you know, it, it that that that's that's the moment that they're going to seize on. It's like there's so many other things that we have to be thinking about. This is not, you know, anyway, I just found I found most of it to be tedious and 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 ridiculous, although. You know, I did get educated on some of the the candidates. So, of you know, issues. certainly, yeah. yeah, certainly I think in my mind, you know, um, both Warren and Klobuchar did very well as in terms of debate performance, I thought. Um, and, you know, Bernie is just sort of he's starting to wear on me. I got to be honest. I mean, I, I you know, there's a lot of his ideas I like, but, I, you know, I just can't. It, 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 there's some of them come across so strident. I just I, I, I get a little lost. Well, to be the, the couple things and we talked about this, and I of course I tweeted it out. How they didn't prepare, or, or I don't know, maybe they did or they tried to, but it, just from being a public speaking instructor, I cannot believe that they didn't prep Bloomberg better. For I mean, regardless of the issues, just the fact that he's just not a good public speaker. And I never realized that I never really watched him give a speech before. Maybe he's better on a prepared speech and, and not, you know, ad libbing. <laughs> but I'm, I'm like, I can't, I could not get over that. The second thing is, you know, Mayor Pete, very good speaker for the most part, but doesn't know when to stop the point. So he'll give a yes, really good so yeah, for sure. He'll give a really yeah. good point. It's a great first 30 seconds and then he just trails off. He never actually gets to finish a thought because he rambles on and then somebody thankfully interrupts him. I just it's That's little right. things like that that you just want to say is is there are there no public speaking coaches? available yeah, to it's, these folks i'm sure that's all they do is prep for these things but. yeah it is and you know and but the thing is and this is where i think debates have sort of gone off the rails quite frankly in 2020 and and certainly the last election as well which is it's all now about the moment right it's all about the news bite sound bite social media meme moment and so they're all trying to get in their sort of little uh, uh, gotcha, you know, sort of tweetable moment that'll get, you know, put into an animated GIF that, you know, that gets spread. Yeah. And it's not about ideas any longer. And it's that's where I think the debate organizers have really failed uh, everybody. Um, well, maybe we should uh, kind of shift it, <laughs> shift <laughs> into our should, own yeah, little exactly. paradigm here and uh, start a, a yeah. marketing show. How we? Yeah. How well, that? let's let's get over. Let's get to our own little tweetable moment, shall let's we? And uh, yeah, let's roll. And now for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, P and R, with this old marketing. Take it away, boys. Hello, my friends. This is Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 228 of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded Thursday, February 19th, 2020. And with me, my good friend, my colleague, and I think the only guy who hasn't been pardoned in the last couple of weeks, Mr. Joe Polizzi. <laughs> How are you, my friend? <laughs> yeah, I can't even talk about that stuff it's just, no i know it's just don't crazy. even get it and it, you know it's just, don't get me started don't, yeah i feel like birdie saying don't get <laughs> yeah. me started here I, 
You know, <laughs> the, yeah. that's every time I see Bernie, I just think he's going to do, you know, kind of like a, a Richard Nixon type thing. But yeah, so it, I, yeah, I can't think of, you know, I can't think of anything um, uh, other than curb your enthusiasm okay. every time I see oh him. Oh my God, reason. that's, yeah. that's so yeah. true. Unbelievable. <laughs> I figured that music's going to always start to play. Oh, geez, <laughs> crazy. Hey, you've got a, um, a book launch. That's coming up. Is it this week? Next week? When the heck is oh, this thing happening? Oh my goodness! You know, you're so wonderful for asking about that. Well, I, you know, this, that's this what friends are for. Impromptu thing that, yeah. So as this is, so this will this will air. This episode will air on Monday, and a week from Monday, on March second, is launch day for the Will to Die, my new thriller, marketing thriller, whatever you want to call it. And uh, you know, I. W- w- I'll just tell everybody because this is my bit, you know, if I have a BHAG for this thing, I'm trying to make the USA Today bestseller list. So I've been doing all this research on what it takes to make that happen. And they actually look at, I think it's 26 different stores around the United States to then tabulate, you know, who makes the bestseller list. And what I figured out to make the low end of the 150. So if you make it on the top 150, you can say you're USA Today bestseller for that week. You have to move about 6,000 books. 6,000. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So, but we're going to get... Which, which, which weirdly doesn't sound like a lot and sounds like a lot all in the same sentence, right? I mean, it, it, it really, when you go, oh, it's 6,000 books, but then you go, it's 6,000 books, right? It, it, it's, so, it's such a weird number. Well, it's weird. I mean, you you know, you and I with with Killing Marketing, you know, we, we sold I don't know what the number is fifteen twenty thousand books of Killing Marketing, but we did that over a long period of time. So I'm sure. like, okay, I've got to get that much. And, and of course, this is my first uh, you know jump into the pool of fiction. So that's a whole different thing. I mean, I understand the nonfiction world. It's a much bigger pool yeah, bit, for yeah, sure. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So. Yeah. Um, so we're going to give it a shot. We're going to, but the one thing that's curious is it can't all come from Amazon. So I can't get all 6,000 from Amazon. They, you actually, you have to have at least one other source that delivers about 200 books for you. So that could be Barnes & Noble Nook. That could be Apple iBooks. Uh, could be Books a Million. It could be Walmart, Costco, whatever. But you, you have to make sure that you have at least two sources. So it's interesting how you... When you when I'm looking at the promotions, how I'm going to do this, you don't just want to focus everything on Amazon. So, anyways, I'm gonna th- I'm going to ask everyone who's listening to this if you're going to buy the book, and you're gonna so March second to March eighth. Actually, it's on sale right now. It's on the ebook's on sale for two ninety nine through March eighth. So if you like thrillers and mysteries, you're gonna love it. It's endorsed by Mr. Robert Rose, so that's really all you need to know. So there's that, <laughs> and then it goes back to regular price after that, which is nine ninety nine. So if you like, but then there's hardcover available. Uh, pa- we've got paperback available. We'll have Audible, anything available. So just go to the Will to Die. I would love to get everyone's support. Um, and believe it or not, like our friend Andrew Davis, who was nice enough, he, and he, I didn't even come up with this. He did. He says it's a marketing thriller, is what he called it. Because if you read it. You know, the protagonist is a marketing professional who runs an agency and, you know, it's a thriller. Don't get me wrong. It's a mystery thriller. But but by the end, you'll you'll sort of get some business advice about how to market your business. Uh, So it's it's some fun. So I'm looking forward to it. Would love everyone's support out there. 
We'll see if we can get this thing happen. Hopefully, in two weeks when we do our next podcast, I can say, yes, we hit the list and it's great. Or I'll be crying a little bit and say, I I sold 5950 <laughs> and I didn't make the list and I'm so sad. But anyways, well, <laughs> yeah. well, I'll take I'll take it one step further than that, which is go buy the book. Just everybody out there, go buy it. I'm gonna buy like you know a couple of copies from different places. It's two ninety nine. It's so easy to do. If for only you know, and and you know, I'll certainly give one of mine to. We have a little local library here that I'm gonna donate one of my copies to. Um, oh, and if so for nice. no other reason than. Then basically, I get to call you a USA Today best-selling author. That to me is worth it all in itself. I mean, that, you know, if that costs me two ninety-nine or five bucks or whatever it is, I'm in. I'm totally in for that. So, go buy the book, do something good, um, and uh, yeah, Thank it'll you. be yeah. it'll be fun to watch. Thank you very much. And you, by the way, you don't have to wait until March second. You can buy it pre-order. Everything's available for pre-order now at the two ninety-nine price if you want the digital copy. So you can just go to thewilltodie.com and you'll see all the links available and we'll see. But I'll tell you what, after this is done, uh, I've got quite a few posts that I, you know, I'm going to throw out here because I have learned so much about marketing. By it's amazing. It, it, it's I totally, you know, I was I was supposed to retire from marketing, but actually I had to use <laughs> I had to use some of my marketing chops to make this happen. So we'll see if it pays off. I. You know. You're like Michael Corleone. Every time I try and get out, they, they just pull, pull me, me back, back in. in. I know it's so crazy. <laughs> so it'll be it'll be fun. It's been a great ride, and the the only unfortunate thing is, you know, you know how I am. I'm so obsessed with this stuff. I I have to get through this launch before I can start writing the next one. It's just of I just course. can't sit down because every time I sit down and I start writing, I'm thinking, oh, I got to do this, and I got to list at this one, or I'm yeah, you know, got to submit to this book site, and I just can't do it. So. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, oh, before we start, I want you know, yeah. let's talk marketing. Did you see the Whopper commercial thing? Did yes, you, I the, saw the I've ads seen it. for that. I didn't know if you had yes. a take or not. Uh, you know, it's a it's a hamburger that molds in a time-lapse thing. I don't know what the world is all like going apoplectic about i i I don't i kind of don't get the big deal you don't think they're taking a risk because and for those of you who didn't see it they put out a campaign where they do the time lapse thing where they show the you know the whopper getting moldy over a two-week period and it's in a direct i don't want to say it's a fight but they're they're come they're 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 going up against McDonald's and their preservatives. And I don't know if you caught the story or, you know, where they, I think, what is it? They've got the McDonald's burger in Iceland somewhere. And it, it looks like, you know, it's been there for five years and it, or something like that. And it looks like it's hot off the grill. Like it never molds. <laughs> it's yeah, something. I mean, so they're, they're coming yeah. back and saying we're fresh. I mean, they, they're taking a little bit of a risk. Don't you think? I mean, it's not. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I mean, I mean, we'll talk a little bit about the Peloton ad that we talked about, you know, a few shows ago as well in terms of risks and 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 the idea of, you know, when you fail at it and when you succeed at it and all of that. So I appreciate I absolutely appreciate the risk that the creative people took here. I just don't uh, you know, it's not 
it, it's not a direction I would have gone, right? I mean, if somebody had asked me, and sadly, I don't know why Burger King didn't call me. They didn't and ask know. Yeah, they didn't know Los this. Angeles was open. No, they only thought it was. That's New York. right. That's what we had not passed the ordinance yet for content marketing here in LA, just as yet. And, you know, I looked at it and watched it and went, you know, I'm not sure that calling attention to the fact that Burger King has been filled with artificial preservatives for a long time and now we're taking them out is sort of any, you know, something I would want to necessarily pay attention to. I, I would just. I, I would just do it, right? I would just, I would just, I wouldn't illustrate the difference, you know. In other words, I, I it, some things are better left to the new rather than calling attention to the old. Um, and I, you know, to me, a different way of highlighting the fact that we no longer have artificial preservatives and that there are ways to compare that to the competition who does. I, I just think there were more interest to me, more interesting ways of doing it. But, you know, I mean, hey, listen, I, good for them. I hope it I hope it I hope yeah. it sells a lot of birds. But, I don't, you know, the other thing is, uh, I don't know if they're I mean, yes, is there competition McDonald's? Sure. But their bigger competition these days, from what I've been hearing, is the chicken sandwich. It's chicken. It's chicken. Yeah, exactly. It's Popeye's. They should be yeah, fighting. Yeah, yeah, Chick-fil-A. Should, there's, yep. It's Popeye's. It's Chick-fil-A. They should be fighting against the chicken. I know. I know they have a chicken sandwich. But you don't you don't think chicken sandwich when you go to Burger King? No, of course not. I mean, and, I think of a, maybe I think that's of a why. Maybe that's just a battle that they've said. You know what? We're not going to win that one. Let's you know let's let's go fight the let's go fight the villain that we actually can. Well, fight. you know what I think of when I think of Burger King now? I think of a moldy burger. So <laughs> there you go. I'm sure that was. <laughs> and, I'm sure they weren't going for and that one. Scene. <laughs> All right. Do we have any stories? Thank you for coming to our TED yeah. talk, everybody. <laughs> All right, let's get to the top of the show here and get to some marketing news that we might want to talk about here. This, of course, our segment when we talk about something that sets the tone or sets the theme, if we haven't already with moldy burgers and moldy Bloombergs. Um, With uh, Facebook uh, is our top of the show, is partnering apparently with Reuters to fact check videos, photos and other content. Uh, so fascinating uh, article here. And of course, that one is brought to us by the lovely folks at the Business Insider. Uh, and it opens up by saying Facebook is partnering with the news agency Reuters to carry out fact checking on its behalf, adding a high profile name to its global roster of fact checkers. Reuters says the program, which it announced Wednesday, will see its fact checkers verify the authenticity of user generated photos, videos, headlines and other English and Spanish language content in the U.S., in the, quote, run-up to the U.S. election and beyond. Its findings will be published on a Reuters blog, which as of Wednesday showed examples of fact-checking by the news agency dating back to February of 2019. Uh, that goes on to then talk through the fact that they're not going to be doing uh, anything about taking or doing anything about the fact-checking with political ads, um, and Facebook continues to be resistant on that. So, what do you think? What's your take? Uh, is this a good thing? Sounds like it's a sounds like Reuters just scored themselves a nice little juicy contract here for for doing some work for Facebook. Yeah, but yeah, um, good. What do you good think for Reuters? Uh, a couple things. I don't. I don't get the no political ads thing. I mean, I just, I mean I get it, but come on, it, it's got to happen at some point. So. I guess somebody's done an analysis and said, well, if, you know, 75% of political ads won't run on our site now, so we can't do that. So that aside, this is my take on 
Facebook and just outsourcing in general. So they're outsourcing to Reuters. And I think there's a, the, the article mentions, I think, two or three other sources that they use. So Reuters not, is not the first fact checker that Facebook has employed. But, you know, you and I have talked about the uh, the strategy of outsourcing in a business. And of course, when we, you know, especially when we're talking about content marketing, sometimes you bring people on staff to do certain parts and sometimes you go and outsource. And the belief, my, at least my belief with outsourcing is, if you if this is a primary function of the business and it is super important to the product to the content to the marketing whatever you hire that you bring those skills internal and it's important that that's part of your brand and what you're going to do going forward and if it's not ultimately critical to moving forward but it's something that needs to be done you go ahead and outsource so what this article and what facebook is doing right now tells me is that fact checking is not critical to their business it's exactly what it's telling me and this is just another example of well you know we're we're not a media company we're a technology company and it's not you know super important that what's on our platform I mean, we don't have to be liable for it or anything. It's other people's content, so what do we care? Well, but we'll outsource it because we've got enough lawsuits pending that we better do something. That I don't know <laughs> if that's a fair take, but that's the take just because they are in outsourcing mode with this. And until they start bringing this inside of Facebook, I think it's going to be an ongoing problem for them. Well, I, I, I agree with that. However, there is another take here there is another angle to this which could be just as true which is they're looking at it by saying yeah we could we could purchase Reuters you know we could go buy Reuters or we could buy that capability and own it however there's a certain legitimacy that is that is presented when we say we're 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 partnering with a third-party brand and one that quite frankly is trusted as sort of a you know you know the only the facts yeah um, and so if you look at it um, and say, OK, here's Reuters, someone who's well known, and we're basically saying we're going to trust them to be the fact checkers here. Eh, there's a some there's a certain level of legitimacy that says, yeah, OK, it's not us. Basically, we're not self-policing. However, what would have been more interesting, I think, and certainly much more uh uh, uh, advantageous from them from a brand standpoint is to say we're going to do this for all of it right yes in other words yes. we're going to do this for all ads all content so they can still maintain their position as saying hey we're just a platform and we're just you know we're, we're not a media company and we're not going to you know police you know what goes into our advertising because that's not our role in the democratic society and all that other bullshit that they've been spewing about that they could say hey listen here's Reuters and they're going to be our you know they're going to be our ombudsman right they're going to be the one who are actually going to really you know help us fact check both ads and content and have them do both and then they get a plausible deniability right if Reuters says this is this is this is not true this ad they can go hey it was Reuters that that's true it off, they can us. shift the responsibility from that that from yes. that standpoint yes I would agree with that so you know to me it's a it's 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 a step in the right direction. Um, and, but it's, it's, it was a, it's basically 
you know, if I'm their PR person or if I'm their head of, you know, communications and, and, and looking at this, I'm annoyed because it's just basically has created more problems for me. Like they're trying to make the right decisions and they're still, they're creating even more problems for me in my office that I have to wake up to every day and say, well, here's why we're not, you know, because everybody's going to focus on what they're not doing rather than what they are doing. And if so, if they don't take the big, bold step, they're never going to get out of the corner of constantly defending themselves. But I'll say this, kudos to Reuters, right? I mean, it's a big what deal. A, what an, oh, it's a big deal for them. I mean, this is a new business model for them. They, they could take this, you know, if this works, they could take this to other social media platforms as well, and they can become sort of the good housekeeping seal of approval for real news. And I think, I think it's a fascinating move for That's them. That's right. Just think about the YouTube business that they could take. Yeah. I mean, you've got, oh my basically you could, yeah, you could work with Apple, Microsoft, Google, Facebook, all of them and say, yeah, this is the, you know, you're right. I mean, if I, if I'm in their biz dev team, I'm taking this out on the road right now. Yeah. And, I mean, and it's a fantastic it. business for them and, and they have the brand to be able to pull it off. So it's, it's really good. So here's uh, in, in uh, concluding this session, do you, <laughs> what, what's your prediction on when Facebook finally comes in and says, we are going to check all content, including political ads? Uh, never. Never? Never. Yep. I think it's going to be... That's my, that's my prediction. I think it's going to be after this election cycle. Nope. I think it's not going to be... I think it's going to be... I think they're... I mean, let me put it this way. If it doesn't happen before this election, it's not going to happen. Unless they're forced to do it, unless they unless some regulatory thing comes in and makes them do it. I don't think they're going to I don't think they'll do it on their own. I guess I think if they haven't done it yet, what what is if they haven't done it yet and we're in the thick of it. Right. I mean, it is March. um, And so, you know, it, it, it you know, the 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 Super Tuesday is right around the corner. And if they haven't done it yet, they're not going to do it for the general. I just don't see them doing it for the general election. So I, I don't, I, I don't, unless they're forced to do it, I don't see them oh, doing you're it. You're right. I mean, the, the problem right now, and I'm a, we'll talk about this later in one of the other articles, is there's just a lack of competition when it comes to social advertising. You only have yeah. a few true outlets uh, to go to. And Facebook is probably the go-to one for most brands right now. Facebook slash Instagram. So... They can pretty much do whatever they want as long as advertisers are giving them money. And the last I checked on Facebook's financials, they're doing pretty darn well. So, yeah, yeah, exactly right. <laughs> Is it understated? That's exactly right. Yeah. That's exactly right. All right, let's move on now to our next segment of the show, which sort of is a few articles that Joe and I have picked throughout the week to talk a little bit about um, and give you a little bit of a deeper dive into some of our thinking or what we're reading. Um, And the first one is written by this guy, some dude named Joe Paluzzi, something? I don't know. (laughs) It comes to us courtesy of publish. Dude, by the way, total side note here, I've done... I don't know, seven webinars, maybe even eight webinars over the last uh, like five weeks. Every single one of them in my bio, of course, is our book together. Yeah. It just it, I, I, I even say it now when I send over the bio, I'm like, it's Polizzi, like itsy bitsy Polizzi. Never fails that they mispronounce it. It's just it's just amazing. And, it's, and by the way, anyway. it's only Americans. Yeah, right. Of, the, of all the Europeans, Europeans get, get it, it. right. Right away. Yeah. They'll, I mean, they'll either say Polizzi or Polizzi, and either one of those yeah. is, is correct. But yeah, absolutely. Whatever. So, so 
So, so this article this brought article to you by Publishing Executive, um, and the headline, uh, written by our pal here, Mr. Paluzzi, uh, is Guess Who's Going to Buy You? That's right, your advertiser. Uh, and uh, you go on to really cover a lot of the stuff that we've covered on the show here, um, but including the Barstool Sports, uh, launched as a print publication in 2003, um, has now been acquired. Uh, you talked in 2009 when Photography Supplies store Adorama bought a buying group together and JPEG magazine was going out of business and bought that 2010 L'Oreal, the global makeup conglomerate purchasing makeup.com uh, 2013 and HubSpot wanted to add an agency blog. Basically you've sort of give a laundry list of acquisitions that have happened over the last 10 years and then make the prediction that it's only just begun in terms of the acquisition market and that all brands are media brands. So what say you, um, what, uh, what do we need to pay attention to? Well, here? I mean, first of all, the, the story was written for media executives. <laughs> so it wasn't written for, yeah. you know, marketers of brands of products. That's and services. right. But it, it, the, this, and you know, this is not new. This is my frustration. And, this happened recently because I was talking with a media exec who was looking to sell their company, and they had a short list of all the people that they felt would buy their media brands, and all of them were traditional media companies. There were no brands on the list, and and I I'm I'm continued to be dumbfounded by this, Robert, because. And that's why I listed the laundry list of look at all these things that have been going on since, you know, 2009 and 13 and 15 and 16. And we talk about the Aero Electronics example. When are we, uh, at least as media executives, going to realize that the people that are ultimately going to buy our brands are not the ones with no money, which are the media companies. It's going to be the ones with the money that really need an audience. And of course, I you know brought up the third party, uh, the privacy stuff that you know moving from third party data to first party data is critical, and that's why these media brands are more valuable than they've ever been before. So there's an opportunity on both sides, right? There's the media executive that you know I believe that their advertisers are the ones that are you know if you're looking to sell. You could get you're gonna get a you're gonna get a premium on the marketing side, and then for marketers out there, uh, we we have to get beyond the fact that we're we don't know what we're doing in this area, and that's the issue, right? Because a chief marketing officer they're not familiar with mergers and acquisitions in the media space; they don't think about it at all. And when you and I go into any meeting like this. Uh, you kind of have to hit them over the head a couple times and say, you have to look at this now because you can absolutely start something fresh and organically build it. And it's going to take a couple of years and it's going to be very difficult. You're going to have to be consistent with it and invest in it. Or you could cut some corners here. And if there's somebody already doing it, not that you have to you know, fit a square peg in a round hole, but if there's somebody already doing that in the marketplace that you could pick up at a dare I say it, discount, which in, in some of these cases, these are distressed media assets because the media model isn't working well anymore. There's a huge opportunity. So that's why I wrote the art. I pitched it to publishing executive. I, um, I love the folks over there. And I said, would you run this? Because I really want to tell the story again, like we haven't told it in Killing Marketing and many times before that on this podcast. So I don't know. Yeah. Did you enjoy it? <laughs> you you should have said, "Oh, this looks <laughs> well, this looks you, oddly familiar." I did absolutely. I mean, and the funny thing is, is that it, and and this is t- 
totally true. I actually saw the headline before knowing that it was you uh, who who oh, wrote it funny. and clicked into it and went, oh yes, of course. <laughs> you know, of oh, course, he's writing. Of course, he did. He's writing yeah. marketing stuff again. <laughs> he's so, you know, uh, yeah, the umbrella drinks from Alfred are coming <laughs> fast and furious now. He's definitely writing some stuff. But yeah, I mean. Look, I, the, the, I mean, probably no surprise to you, my favorite part of this, other than the sort of overall general tenor of, of, of looking at acquisitions, was the importance of first party data um, and the value of first party data in all of this and how it, you know, and, and how it actually plays out. And so, you know, when we when we see that happening and uh, you know it was interesting when on the on my other little show i ranted a little bit about the the last interactive uh advertising bureaus meeting which they had their big yearly meeting just uh, last week and you have all these major b2c consumers up on stage um and they basically were lamenting they the, the whole iab meeting apparently felt like an aa meeting because they were all admitting that they had problems um, and most of it was because they were, you know, still addicted to this ad business yep. and can't get first party data anymore and CCPA and, you know, GDPR and it's all sort of coming down around them and nobody had any solutions. And it was like I would I just wanted to be there in the back corner and, you know, sort of sheepishly raise my hand and hold, you know, a copy of Killing Marketing over my head like a boombox, you know, <laughs> over and start playing a little Peter Gabriel and saying, I've got somebody for you. I've, I've, got, I've got an answer for you. So it's, uh, you know, I, I, I think this is truly where we're going to start to see when you say there could be a run on media companies coming up. I, I truly believe that, you know, you're going to, you're going to, you are going to see exactly that. Yeah. So <clears throat> the, the lessons from this are if you're listening to this in your media company, uh, you know, start listing those those advertisers that could purchase your brand. Because, by the way, all media companies are for sale. Don't don't kid yourself. They everything's right. for sale. And if you're a marketer, and I don't care how small I, I did a a uh, I was at the Hudson, Ohio library couple weeks ago doing my you know small business content marketing pitch and i talked about this a little bit and i got some pushback about oh only big brands can do this and i shared with them some examples that were five figures uh you know less than six figures deals i said any company of any size for the most part could could purchase a local small town newspaper could put could purchase a blog website could purchase a small podcast those are all out there right now and the only the biggest thing that's stopping us is we're we're not thinking about it. So I think you yeah. and I just have to keep you know yelling this from the rooftops and saying, is anybody paying attention to this? And I, <laughs> I mean honestly, I'm a little is this thing on? I'm a little frustrated. on? I'm a little frustrated because you and I have seriously so we you and I probably have been talking about this in our speeches since 2015. Is when we really got serious, and then in the sixteen, when the Aero Electronics thing happened, you know, we were really started to talk about it, and we were moving forward with it. And I really thought that that things would get much better, and we'd start to have marketers talking about this. But I, I haven't seen the pickup. I, I don't. Have you? Well, you no, not at all. I mean, I mean, I have seen it start to happen. Yes, I have seen more yes. and more, more and more companies start to do this. You know what's going to happen, of course. Is that somebody, you know, some big ad agency guy from Madison Avenue is going to is going to suggest this. And, <laughs> it's going to be and, it. 
And it's going to be, it's going to be, you know, like, you know, Mark Pritchard from P and G or, you know, the, um, one of the, the, those, the, I can't remember his name, the professor guy who always writes for the drum or, you know, one of those guys is going to come across this idea and pitch it and everybody's going to go, Oh, it's genius. It's the most innovative idea I've it's ever like, heard It's like, I've got of. this new book out <laughs> called Milling Carketing and, uh, it's the best thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> See how I did that? Oh no, that's oh. Bad. We should get millingcarketing.com just just <laughs> Milling, in case. <laughs> Milling carketing brought to you by Kyle the Creator. Okay, <laughs> let's move along uh, to music. our next story yes. here. Okay. Um, and this one is an interesting one. It comes courtesy of LinkedIn. Big hat tip here to Karen Shoup for sending this over. Um, and apparently, Joe, catalogs are in again. Really? Uh, this, Yeah, this article opens up. Uh, and from you, by the way, I'm sending this over. It's saying it may be a digital world, but printed catalogs have managed to grow in popularity over the last few years. And consumers are into it. According to a Harvard Business Review, uh, response rates from catalogs rose by 170% between 2004 and 2018, with both digital and mailed catalogs helping brands lift sales. Uh, Why do they still work? The traditional marketing tools help customers visualize how they use or experience products, making them appear more vivid. Uh, And so then there's a bunch of responses here from various people. But what say you? I mean, that's this that research feels a little skewed to me. But it does. It feels a little bit skewed. I mean, it's it's the article comes from Harvard Business Review uh, and they did a, a valiant job putting together. Uh, you know, they didn't, didn't talk about the e-commerce retailer that they were working at. It said it was a luxury watch and jewelry retailer, and they did the whole study. And then they found at the end that there was significant lift across the board with the, um, you know, potential results or increased customer involvement, loyalty and sales, blah, 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 all that stuff. Um, I think the bigger issue is, and we've talked about this before, the it's harder than ever to to it's getting harder online digitally with advertising because we mentioned before there's only a few players in town prices are going up in these respects and you still have the u.s postal service that is there's not a lot of competition there i mean i you and i we go out and get our mail and how many wonderful beautiful catalogs are we getting well maybe a little bit more here Uh, And I think the opportunity for visual communications is so important. And that's what they talk about in the article. This whole thing where you can really um, help the customer visualize because it's very hard to duplicate the experience, that lean back experience when you're looking at a magazine or a catalog. So I think that opportunity is there. But if you just look at it from an expense standpoint, because, of course, we want positive ROI when we're doing these things. The cost of sending something in the in the post, of course, it, it, depending on how you look at it, it could be expensive, but those costs are not going, they're not increasing dramatically. Nominal expense increases across the, uh, every year, and the same with um, printing. Printing is not skyrocketing and it's not going overboard, but what, what costs are skyrocketing? Believe it or not, it's your social ads. It's your ads on Amazon that you're paying for. It's your promoted posts. It's your Facebook ads. Those things are getting more competitive, and it's harder to get share of voice on those. And I think a combination of all these facts means that you're going to have this move back, not to where it used to be, 
But for smart, innovative marketers, they're going to say, you know, we're going to chop off a piece of this budget and we're going to focus it on print. And whether that means print catalogs or custom magazines, I think you're going to see both in play. Yeah, I think I, I, I think you're exactly right. And to me, it's the combination, right? It's the it's the combination of both a, you know, this rising to your, you know, to your always relevant and, and great point about the, the comeback of print. But the comeback of print in con, you know, in conjunction with a digital presence, right? Yeah. So, in other words, having a, a wonderful experience that is a catalog-like experience in print, um, and I just speak for my own family's um, experience here. My, you know, my wife loves that even the one they mentioned in the Harvard study. Um, you know, whether it's Nordstrom or Patagonia or Crate and Barrel, she loves all those catalogs, and she loves those catalogs because she can immediately take it and go to the digital and find the thing, right? You know, go search it by, you know, the number and immediately buy it or you know or look at it and et cetera, et cetera. So I think it's a it's a combination of those things. It's not a a move to, if you will. True. And and also, if you need any more proof, and we covered this, I don't know, what was it, a couple months ago on the podcast where uh, Amazon's catalog strategy, where Amazon actually has a yeah, catalog absolutely. now. Yeah. And Walmart is reinvesting into their catalog. So we've got some pretty yeah. big and the companies. Walmart, and by the way, the Walmart, or excuse me, the Amazon physical store, right? I mean, you know, where they're taking some of their most popular and most, uh, you know, sold items and building physical stores out of it. Not only, by the way, to showcase some of those things and provide you a browse type of experience, but also to warehouse those things because they can ship them from there, too. Oh, that's I didn't even think about that. And uh, when my son Joshua and I were in Soho, we went to the Amazon store there and it was packed. It was as packed as the um, Apple store was. So, yeah. I mean, if you're going to buy, you know, if you're going to buy space to ship stuff from, why not create a showroom along with, with it? That's you know? exactly and, right. I love it. Everything's yeah. for everything I think is they say is four star. I think it's Amazon's four star store where everything yeah. is four stars or, or above. So that's right. That's right. Exactly right. All right. So our last uh, article that we'll take a look at and just really this is some commentary <laughs> coming back from something that we talked about before is, you know, we we ranted and raved about the Peloton ad. Um, and apparently, according to Ad Age, uh, the Peloton wife helped spur holiday sales for the fitness brand. So not so big a fail, maybe after all. Um, it was the gift that keeps on giving, says the Ad Week article. Peloton's widely panned holiday ad campaign called The Gift That Gives Back might have helped juice sales after all. The New York-based fitness brand reported stellar second quarter earnings on Wednesday, revenue rising 77%. Uh, and basically the number of subscribers who pay to stream classes grew 96% to more than 712,000 Peloton counts, 2 million members in total. I mean, first of all, Good, good gosh. Oh, you, that's unbelievable. I mean, it's just, I mean, holy smokers. That is, that's the kind of results that we all dream about. But, you know, you know, I, and, and I think to me, this, this, what this speaks to is sort of the, you know, the insignificance of the ad failure, you know, so all of us inside baseball are like, oh, it's so horrible. It's so, it's so awful that they did this ad. Uh, and we're all, you know, wringing our, 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 our Kleenex out, but actually how insignificant this is in their overall performance. Yeah. Uh, it, I would imagine my, my guess is that with or without the ad, they would have been pretty close to 
what the results were anyway. Yeah, I yeah. But yeah. My question is is a bad ad that people talks about better than a mediocre ad that everyone ignores. So I would say that the ad even though there was a lot of negativity surrounding it, it wasn't that there was a problem with the product, is it, it was that people didn't like the take. So maybe that's okay. Maybe you know maybe uh, maybe like with Burger King and the moldy Whopper, maybe so, so some people are against it and thinks it's silly, but you know, everyone's talking about everyone in our world is talking about it, which gets people to blog about it. I mean, how many Peloton wife at, uh, blog posts did you see? Everyone was doing it. Everyone was posting it. All of our friends were posting it. And then those people have, you know, some, some people actually have subscribers. So they, <laughs> those yeah. subscribers were well, paying attention to that and so on and so forth. So that's, that's yeah. my, I take. mean, it's, it's the, not a big deal. That, yeah, I mean that's the PT Barnum, right? You know, I don't care what the newspapers say about me as long as they spell my name right. Um, you know, and in this day and age, it's I don't care what the newspapers say about me as long as they provide a hyperlink to my website. Yep. You know, and so um, I think that's the real key here. Is 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 to to your point? I think yes, there was probably a bit of both, and they may have balanced themselves out. You know what I mean? They may have balanced themselves to 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 you know the 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 fail versus the oh they but. They were talking about it, and that drew attention to the idea of a Peloton. And somebody went, "Yeah, I don't like the ad, but I sure like the idea of getting a Peloton bike." You know that that could have certainly been uh, been there as well. Well, I know one. Um, I know one thing for sure. In uh, we're going to have a whole chapter on Peloton in our next book uh, called Milling Carketing, which you can get. <laughs> <laughs> Milling carketing. <laughs> oh no! You know what? We're the only ones who find that funny at all. Everybody else is rolling their eyes right about now, and going, "No, What's no, no, no." The deal with that. But speaking of rolling their eyes, we we should yeah, and, and and of and of milling carketing, we've got a wonderful sponsor to talk about. We absolutely do. Content Tech Summit is ha- it, it's only a couple weeks. What is this? Six six weeks away? Seven weeks away? Something like that. Yeah, seven, it's eight close. weeks away. It's April, Less than April two months through away. 24, yeah. yeah. Two months away. Register now at contenttechsummit.com. You can use the coupon code, discount code, PNR100. That's PNR100, all caps, to get $100 off. You absolutely need to attend. Uh, we've been talking about it on show after show on how important this whole mixture is of technology and content. And as marketers, I think it's our responsibility to understand how the processes are changing and what we need to know about those two things working together. And I think that's what Content Tech does. It's been always the goal of Content Tech, and I think that's what that event continues to do. And you're going to be around some of the smartest enterprise marketers in the business if you end up going to sunny San Diego, April 20th to 22nd. I do also know that there is a Mr. Robert Rose speaking, (laughs) and he is hosting this as well, I believe, and it'll be fantastic. Uh, I can't recommend it enough. Uh, You know, sometimes we get, you know, when we had sponsors in the past that, you know, sometimes we weren't quite sure of the product. So, you know, you and I had to check it out on there and there were some sponsors that we said, well, maybe we shouldn't talk about this one because I don't know if that product is good enough. But this one, I can assure you is an excellent product. Uh, the the event out there to go to about the mixture of content and technology. So get there. 20th to 22nd. ContentTechSummit.com. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it is now time for the empirically proven favorite 
part of the show, <laughs> which is, of course, our rants and rave section. And it's where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave over something that makes us feel like, oh, well, makes us feel like Bernie Sanders when he's all fired up or makes us feel like Michael Bloomberg last night. Uh, and so do you want to go first or shall well, I? Why don't go you? First? I think I went first. You go. You go first, okay. because mine is a is a brief rave. And uh, I okay. would like to hear your extensive commentary. I just have very two very quick uh, raves, actually. Um, and the first one is, by the way, hat tip here to our friend and family of the show, Ms. Bethany Johnson, who is just awesome, sent this over to me in an email. Um, and it's a just a really great article. I mean, it speaks to... You know, I don't know how this became the politics show, but but um, it, it speaks a little bit to that. It is a article uh, in the opinion section of the New York Times, and it's by A.G. Uh, Sweetsberger, who is, of course, the publisher of the New York Times. And the title of it is A Growing Threat to Journalism Around the World. And it's just a brilliant piece speaking to the dangers right now of where journalism sits in the world. Um, and some of the, you know, and he recounts much of what's gone on in terms of, uh, you know, the current administration and where journalism is. And certainly most of it focused on international um, journalism. And, and it's a it's a bit of a call to arms, if you will, of saying, you know, if you are a, uh, you know, if you're a true fan of journalism and want to be one an informed citizenry, then then go out and subscribe to something, go out and support journalistic organizations. Um, like the Committee to Protect Journalists and Reporters Without Borders and, um, and a number of the other nonprofit uh, organizations that are out there. The two things that I wanted to just sort of highlight as, you know, one, just to be able to put the show link in the, or the notes, or the link in the show notes itself, um, was he speaks to this idea of, very briefly toward the end of the uh, article, he talks to the idea of that brands are now starting to create content too. Um, and that media, you know, there, there's sort of this merging of, you know, this idea that you and I sort of, you know, evangelize out there of everybody's in the audience business and the content business. And he speaks very briefly to that, basically saying that they have a responsibility as well. Um, and so there is a responsibility for businesses. And this is something that I've been hot on lately is the, you know, not just the opportunity, but the responsibility of businesses and brands to actually further this along. And so I guess what I would add to his idea here is, is that it's not just, you know, individuals and citizens who should pony up the money to subscribe and support journalism. I absolutely believe that businesses have that responsibility as well. So businesses should pony up the money to support or subscribe to the idea of journalism and, you know, start to put a little bit of their money where their mouth is because I think it's time for doing all of that. So wonderful article, wanted to get Great. it in there. The second one is um, very quick as well, and this one is a little self-serving because I'm going to link to something on contentadvisory.net, quite frankly, because nobody else seems to be covering it. Um, and it's by my colleague, Tim Walters, who sort of covers uh, a lot of the GDPR and CCPA and data privacy stuff for us. And it's basically a, a, a video um, and a subsequent press release that IKEA put out very, very quietly, by the way, didn't really make a big deal out of it. And, and nobody seems to really be covering it at all. And they've really, quite frankly, this YouTube video, which we linked to in the in the post, um, quite frankly, sets the standard now for what 
real compliance with GDPR looks like. Um, and it's uh, basically the chief digital officer there at Ikea sort of, you know, it, I mean, look, I mean, it'll be really clear. The video is not that compelling. It's 10 minutes of, you know, her talking, which is not, you know, it's, it's not, it's not the most impactful thing you're ever going to watch, but the ideas behind it are truly interesting. Um, most, I, you know, most important to me is as they start looking at the way that your information is going to be used, they're doing this thing um, that, you know, is this really idea of what we call just in time consent, right? So in other words, only taking the data from you when we need it. And they're actually doing it, right? Um, we talked about it a little bit in a webinar that we did and, and, and we've talked about it a little bit, but it's basically taking the time to build your digital experiences to only assemble the data. So in other words, when you go surf through Ikea now, and you want to see products that are relevant to the products that you've, you know, you've selected, there's an option for you. It basically says, would you like to see the, you know, the products that are, you know, most relevant to you based on your surfing behavior? And you can click that on or off. And when you click it on, it'll use your data for that. And if you click it off, you say, no, I don't want to use my data. They're not going to track it. They're not going to track it. They're not going to use it. And it does add an extra step, but the way that they've done it in the interface is quite frankly, uh, really interesting and quite frankly it enhances the customer experience it doesn't sort of degrade from it it doesn't make it a pain in the ass it's not a you know sort of pop-up that comes up all the time to to make your experience more troublesome it's actually built into the way that you shop and the way that you experience the ikea website and it's just brilliant i just think it's really great so anyway i think it's a new standard and IKEA setting the standard, of course, is not terribly surprising, but a really good standard it is. So those are my Do two. Do you rates. think that Amazon will adopt this? I think they should, um, you know, and I think they could. Um, whether they will or not is a is a different story. Because I will, I will guess. I will take a guess. Um, and it'll be really interesting to watch IKEA's results here as a, as 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 how this goes along. That it, it, in a way, it might drive down conversion rates a little bit, it, especially in the beginning, where there's more options there than you you know. And they're basically assuming, by the way, that you don't want this. You have to opt into these things, right? Would you like to show the most relevant products? Would you like us to use this data to send you an email that you know highlights what you you know what you looked at and put in your shopping cart? And by by having the opt out be the default. Um, I have to imagine that that will, you know, basically drive down some conversion rates, but, and Amazon will be loath to do that, I'm sure. But so we'll see, I, I think they could and should do this, but, but, but we'll see if other, of other, uh, e-commerce providers, um, sort of follow suit here. Mm. Ikea is always, they always seem like they're trailblazing with everything. Yeah. I think that, you know, I mean, look, they're doing very well and they, you know, they, they, uh, you know, and and they're and they're certainly forward leaning when it comes to all this kind of stuff. So it's it's good. Very very good. Well, I have a rave, and uh, what I really love about this rave, Robert, is that they're friends. Uh, the p- people that put this together are all friends of, of yours and mine. So this is um, from Typeset, and our friend um, Sarah Mitchell, who we know and love, and we've known for a long time. And I think you and I both Absolutely. met Sarah. 
probably the first time either content marketing world or when we did, I think maybe we did content marketing world in (laughs) Australia. If I'm not. Absolutely. She's fantastic. But they put, she put together, which is, this is relevant to everyone listening to this. This is the state of writing 2020 new research quality matters. Uh, It was produced by typeset and our friends at Mantis research, uh, Michelle Lynn and Claire McDermott. uh, If you, if you, those of that don't know, Michelle used to run all the online content for, uh, content Marketing Institute, and Claire used to run uh, Chief Content Officer Magazine. And the yeah. best thing about yeah. that is they decided to leave to start their own business, Mantis Research. So if you need any research performed, they're um, they're available. So but I, what I love about the state of writing here, there's a couple things that really snuck out at me. First of all, I just, some of these are so funny. It's kind of like when CMI does their annual benchmark for content marketing. There's just things you just have to shake their head, your head at. So 76% of business communicators know what successful writing looks like, but only 45% think they're actually doing it. So I'm like, all right, there's a little bit of a, <laughs> right? a little bit of a, a struggle there. We, we, we're missing something. Um, what we know is, is that if you are really effective at Right, marketing writing. You have an editor that's overseeing all this content. You have regular meetings to look at your mission statements. These are, you know, these are things that just smart companies do. And uh, there's a whole bunch of other amazing research in here. I think the one that I thought was interesting. I don't have it in front of me, but it's something like six. Yeah, here it is. Six in ten business communicators are increasing the amount of writing they're doing as part of their marketing, but only three in ten are increasing budget. Yeah. So where are you gonna squeeze it's out amazing. those extra words? Right. So exactly. <laughs> anyways, what's really important about this is if you if writing and the written word is important as part of your marketing practice. This is something, this report is something you can take and use to maybe uh, make a case for more budget or you know maybe different staffing or whatever, which is what it's meant for. So you can get the full report uh, at uh, typesetcontent.com, but we'll put it in the show notes so you can just... However you're listening to this, just click on the show notes and you can click right to the link. So just hats off yeah. to the team at Typeset for putting this together. We need more and more of this stuff. It really helps marketers. And I hadn't seen one exactly like this focused on uh, writing for business writing. communicators. Yep. So I think that um, I'd love to see them. I'm, I'm sure they're planning this as an annual and uh, it's fantastic. Yeah, I you know I mean I love this as well. Um, I'll call out one that uh, that that struck out to me, which was the idea of writers and these days in search engine optimization, where they were actually a bit surprised by the number of moderately successful marketers are giving no serious consideration to SEO, um, and I think that speaks a lot to people have uh, you know given up a bit. Um, on on trying to, to rank. You know, there's just so many changes going on now. And I think that will change um, as as Google makes some of its bigger algorithm changes um, over the next uh, over the next coming months. Um, yeah, it's just a fantastic research report. I will I will tease them a little bit. Um, our friend um, at Mantis and of course um the 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 uh, all of this all, all the wonderful team there, which is when you send out an embargo and you basically say, hey, listen, we want you to cover this, and you know it's going to be under embargo. I need more than a couple hours <laughs> to, to, 
I basically got this, hey, we're going to release this in about six and a half hours, but here yeah. it is under embargo in case you want to write something on it. Well, it's funny because I got to... Give me a little Yeah, I got to my email and Sarah was apologizing, but she said, yeah. I, it's, it was almost in my email inbox. I don't get a lot of email anymore. They were almost back to back with both of them. I'm like, okay, I got it. I'm good to go. <laughs> yeah. So I've been promoting exactly. it like crazy, but yeah, yeah. no embargo, <laughs> but you know, what are you going to do? Yeah. So what do you got? Yeah, what do you got planned, the, my friend? What's going on? Uh, well, I'm as as we talked about at the top of the show. I'm still home for the next uh, week and a half, and then I'm I'm actually prepping a little bit for my workshop at Social Media Marketing World coming up here uh, at the beginning of March, um, and I'll be I'll be getting ready for that as well as working on some client work, of course, and getting ready because in March all my travel stuff it, it, things change a lot, right? I'm I'm actually on the road quite a bit. So, uh, so I'm enjoying my last week and a half here at the homestead and some good Southern California weather and, um, and, uh, and getting ready for March, which will be travel filled. How about you? Well, actually I have a little trip, uh, you know, during, during launch week, That's right. I'll be coming That's out to right. the Bay area. I'm very excited about right. it. I'm going to be, uh, presenting, uh, you know, doing a Q and a, uh, at a, at a brewery in, in the Bay area. So if you're around, uh, I honestly don't have the link in front of me, but if you type in Bay Area Content Marketing Meetup uh, into any search engine, let's just say Google, if you type that in, uh, you can get all the details. Uh, I know we've got 100 or or more that are already coming, um, but I'm sure there's room for more. So Bay Area Content Marketing Meetup, I'll be out there on uh, March 3rd, the evening of March 3rd, and I would love to see if you're there. So there you go. And uh, that... Is and it? I won't be pitching my book at all when I'm there. I'm not even not even a little bit. I'm just totally lying. I'm not going to let them leave without buying a book. That's right. If, yeah, and it'll be, but you know, it'll be. You'll either be a USA Today bestselling author or not. Well, I won't know by then. But you won't know by then. But it will have happened. But I'll, I'll have. Yeah, I'll be talking about it with my wine as I drink it <laughs> at the bar. So. All right. Wonderful. Well, uh, here's cheers to that. Um, And that is it. We're signing off. Episode number 228. Uh, And if you like this episode, get yourself your shiny subscription to it. You know, like with Joe's book, get a couple, get get like two or three subscriptions. You all have more than one email address. So, you know, figure it out, hack it together. We need to, we need to figure this out. Um, and we need you to do that. If if, in all seriousness, share would love to hear from you on social media, of course, hashtag us up at this old marketing with story ideas, uh, and all of those things. Um, of course, we're going to put all the links that we talked about today in the show notes. Um, and, uh, we hope you're really digging the show. We're doing, of course, every other week now for those of you who may just be joining us or finding us for the first time. And, if you're interested in Joe's stuff, well, he's got a brand new spanky new website that speaks to all the things that he talks about, including marketing and fiction and selling into the USA Today. Where is that again, Joe? <laughs> Joe yes, it's JoePolizzi.com. P-U-L-I-Z-Z-I.com. And that, you can get... That's JoePolizzi.com uh, or JoePolizzi. I knew you were going to do that. I, yeah, and I have a newsletter. People would like to get it. 
Uh, so you can sign up there at joepolizzi.com. And how about you, my friend? Some kind of fancy uh, we web address the, that you have? Uh, we do. And we're actually, we're, we're planning a little bit of a redesign. Ooh. So it's some fun stuff going on there. Um, you can find all the stuff that we're talking about, including the article that I talked about in my rave today at contentadvisory.net. Um, and just, yes, a reminder about uh, story ideas. We love getting those from the audience. So hashtag us up. And other than that, remember... It's your story to tell. We'll tell it well. We'll see you in a couple of weeks on This Old Marketing.